Hello everyone, this is Kinsey. And this is Ellie. We tend to view the past using these rose-colored glasses, but should we? This show delves into the dark recesses of human history to see if the good old days were truly the good old days. Today was certainly very interesting. My bearded dragon meatloaf decided right before we started this podcast to leave a, a huge gift for me and then run through it and run all up the walls of her tank so they were completely covered in her gift. So I'm spending my hands are very cracked right now. <laughs> I, I cleaned it up just enough before we started today to make sure that it wouldn't fester in the house before I, I finish up. But I, I, you know, I, that's been my day. <laughs> I have to ask, Meatloaf? So her full name, when I initially got her, I thought it was a boy. So I named her Robert Paulson after the character Robert Paulson from Fight Club, who was played by Meatloaf. And then when I discovered it was a girl, I just transitioned to the name Meatloaf. So you do anything for love, but she won't clean Meatloaf's poop. Yep, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Before the days where people, I guess, domesticated bearded dragons, we always hear people saying, oh, I miss the good old days. But did you know that way back when a dead pope was dug up and put on trial? Uh, yikes. I have to imagine he didn't have a whole lot to say in his defense. Someone had something to say in this trial. So let me set the scene for you. Back in the good old days... Our story is going to begin in the late 800s, the same time when Vikings were unsuccessfully attacking Paris. The Tang Dynasty was putting down a rebellion in China. The Cyrillic alphabet was being developed, and popes held all the power as they controlled who was crowned emperor. And in Rome, everything that Charlemagne devoted his entire life to building started to crumble. However, One pope and one emperor conspire to punish a preceding pope and help the infamous Cadaver Synod, or Synodus Horrenda, just because everything sounds way cooler in Latin. And this all started with the fall of Charles the Fat. (laughs) Charles the Fat? Yep, Charles the Fat. Now, I'm not trying to fat shame or anything, because that was his literal name in history. You know... Alexander the Great, Ivan the Terrible, and Charles the Fat. So I gotta admit, I went down a rabbit hole and I found other inspiring names like Skinder the Accursed, Sebastian the Asleep, John George the Beer Jug, Ethelred the Unready, and my absolute favorite, Albert the Bear, who unfortunately wasn't a bear much to my disappointment. In fact, there are eight monarchs that were called the Fat. So that was a thing. Interesting. I guess fat may have been more of a compliment back in the good old days, or maybe people were just more blunt. We'll have to dig up more information on how people got their nicknames sometime. That's a future episode for sure. Anyhow, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, Charles the Fat ruled from 881 to 887. Now, history knows him for being inept and lethargic. I'm going to assume that was because he was fat. Charles III, aka Charles the Fat, was often afflicted with illness, one of those being epilepsy, and he was listless in his duties. 
He didn't help the Pope against the expansionists, and rather than winning battles, he often just bought the enemy off. With his death, the Carolingian dynasty splintered into multiple kingdoms. The Carolingian dynasty, that would be Charlemagne, right? Yeah, yeah. So with, with so many splintered kingdoms after Charlemagne's death, one can only imagine all the different people just vying for power. So according to the Medievalist.net, the Pope was the only person who can name emperors. So let the Pope games begin. Now, before we get to this infamous trial, I'm going to introduce just another character in this crazy story. Let's go back a few more years before Charles the Fat's death and talk about Pope John VIII. Now, John, according to the newadvent.org, was the greatest of the great popes of the 9th century. And in case you're wondering, they had 20 popes to choose from. Those who don't think he was the greatest pope often cite his cruelty, but whatever. We're not here to discuss the pros and cons of John's popedom. John VIII's election in 872 was opposed by our main character, Fermosus. Fermosus did not like John and remained opposed to him throughout his entire 10-year reign. Fermosus, then the Bishop of Porto in present-day Portugal, aligned himself with a few people that John did not like for political or religious reasons. These people fled when John began persecuting them, and Fermosus went along with them. Also, there was apparently a newly passed law that forbade people from aspiring to be Pope, which apparently Fermosus did. What an interesting law. So, there weren't any little children saying, I want to be Pope when I grow up. Absolutely not. Heresy. So Formosus and his peeps were excommunicated from the church. Now, let's fast forward to the end of John's Pope career in 882. He holds the dubious honor of being the first ever Pope to be assassinated. And by then, there's been over 100 Popes. So he must have really made someone angry, like really angry. He was poisoned. And then the killer saw that the poison wasn't working quickly enough. He bludgeoned John with a hammer. Now we have one piece of the puzzle. John VIII excommunicated Formosus. And we have another piece in Charles the Fat being inept and causing a power vacuum. Then we have a rousing game of musical pope chairs of 11 different popes for the next 20 years or so. According to a journal article in Clinical Anatomy, Pope Marinus I reinstated Bishop Formosus, and then he died. He lasted one year and 151 days. Then, Pope St. Adrian III served for one year and 121 days before he was assassinated. Then came Pope Stephen V, or VI, depending on when you look. And according to Pope history, Stephen died after receiving many envoys and pilgrims from England. So he died of over-socializing? I guess I can relate to that. I guess so. So after Stephen V or VI's death, Formosus became Pope. So despite his aspirations, which were illegal, uh, his dreams were still realized. Interesting. So scandalous. Pope Formosus then started making some political moves that may have upset some people. First, he appointed Lambert, the son of the current emperor, as co-emperor. But then at the same time, he became buddies with Germany. So when the emperor of Rome, Guy II, 
died, Pope Formosus allowed the king of Germany, Arnulf, to come in and become the new emperor in 896. Lambert did not like that at all, because, you know, he should have been emperor since Guy II was his dad. Now, Formosus died of a stroke, or possibly poisoning, according to another article, and was followed by Pope Boniface VI. I could have totally bittered that pronunciation. If you Google how to pronounce Boniface, there's like a 50 million ways. So I'm going to say Boniface. Please don't hate. Anyway, Boniface VI lasted 15 whole days on the throne before dying of gout or poison. Pope Stephen VI, or seventh, depending on the source, came next. That's another Stephen. I'm going to go with the six because that's what PopeHistory.com has. Pope Stephen VI decided to embarrass Formosus and appease Lambert by putting Formosus on trial. Formosus, the dead Formosus? What was he on trial for, dying? (laughs) Right? So for those keeping track at home, Pope John the Excommunicator was assassinated in 882. Then Marinus and St. Adrian ruled for less than two years each. Then came Stephen V for a little less than six years, which bring us to Formosus, who lasted four years and 181 days before dying of a stroke. Or poison. Or poison. After Formosus, Boniface ruled for all of 15 days, and that brings us to our current pope, Pope Stephen VI. So Formosus was dug up about nine months after his death. And I know what you're wondering. What does Formosus mean? Now, Atlas Obscura says it means good-looking, but I think it's safe to say that he's not so good-looking after nine months, six feet under. I don't know when Formosus went out of fashion as a name, but I also don't see that name making a resurgence anytime soon. All right, sorry, back to the story. Now, this isn't a figurative trial. Oh, no, this was a literal trial in which Formosus's literal body was dug up in January of 897 and his decaying corpse literally placed in a chair and literally questioned about his actions. So if this isn't ridiculous enough, he was dressed in his full pontifical vestments. You know, fancy Pope attire. So now Pope Stephen is shouting at his dead predecessor, demanding that he answer his charges. And obviously, Formosus was incapable of defending himself. Shocking. He didn't return to reanimate his rotting corpse and defend his honor. Who uh, spoke in his defense then? Well, this poor deacon, who was most likely voluntold by Stephen to be Formosus' representative and speak for the dead. Again, not figuratively, but literally. So this article I found by Richard Stockton just paints this image of this deacon sitting behind this decaying, rotting corpse like a ventriloquist answering questions. Pope Stephen, the prosecutor, would yell, why did you usurp the papacy? And this deacon, which, by the way, is the world's worst lawyer, would just answer, because I was evil. Funny enough, in the middle of the trial, according to another article by Amelia Soth, this earthquake shook the room and Even as the building trembled, the farce, I I mean trial, went on. I'm surprised they didn't see that as a sign that maybe they were doing something wrong. (laughs) Gold signs were a lot more powerful at that time. Shockingly, Formosus was found guilty of three charges. Perjury, coveting the papal throne, and violating the laws of the church by leaving his Porto diocese to become the Bishop of Rome. 
his punishment, all of his actions are now null and void, and his three blessing fingers were to be cut off. Now, just in case you forgot, for Moses here has been dead for nine months. In addition to the hacking of the fingers, he was stripped from the papal vestments and then buried in a pauper's grave. But if that wasn't enough, Pope Stephen VI exhumed Formosus again, and this time threw him in the River Tiber. Now, the people of this time have put up a lot. I can just imagine a conversation at their dinner table. Maybe who's the emperor today or who's the pope today? Crazy time, but this really didn't affect their day-to-day lives other than who were they pledging allegiance to. But at this particular event, the people had enough. And Pope Stephen's treatment of a corpse caused just outrage. An uprising stripped him of his title, dressed him as a monk, and jailed him. He was later strangled to death. Now, the next pope, Romanus, annulled all of the acts of Stephen, but he was overthrown in less of a year. Cause of death? Unknown. His successor, Pope Theodore II, Pope for 20 days, mind you, managed to recover the body of Formosus and directed another synod that invalidated the cadaver synod. He reinstated the ordination of Pope Formosus. So Pope Theodore here is on tape Formosus. Pope Theodore was then possibly murdered, according to Pope history. His successor, John IX, oversaw the reburial of Formosus, another team Formosus here, in St. Peter's Basilica, but in Kiel, peeping with the Joneses, the Popes, I guess, he was Pope for less than two years. Rest assured, it's believed that John IX's death was actually of natural causes. He was not poisoned. John confirmed Theodore II's synod and forbade any future trial of a dead person. Yep, that's correct. There is a papal order to not put any dead person on trial. Kind of like those signs on leaf blowers that say not to insert genitalia. (laughs) You think, why on earth do they make that rule? And then there's always one person. (laughs) Coffee is hot. Be careful. (laughs) But oh no, this still isn't over. The next pope, Pope Benedict IV, is also rumored to have been murdered. He was then followed by Pope Leo V, who was murdered by the anti-pope, 124 days into his papacy, and allegedly by the order of the next pope, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. Anti-pope? Is that like the Antichrist? I have no idea. After the anti-pope, the newly appointed pope, Pope Sergius III, repealed Theodore II and John IX pronouncements and reconfirmed the guilty verdict from the original synod cadaver on Formosus by Stephen VI. In fact, he was so pro-team Stephen that he hung an obituary on Stephen's tomb that hailed his courageous actions and condemned Pope Formosus. Sergius III was actually one of the co-judges that took part in the original cadaver synod and just hated Formosus. Now, according to the Oxford Dictionary of Popes, Bartholomew Platina wrote that Sergius exhumed the pork again, exhumed the corpse again, and again tried him, found him guilty, and beheaded him, conducting a second cadaver synod. But in other historical documents, this second trial is not really mentioned, so we don't really know if it did happen. That's absolutely insane. And how do you behead a corpse? You know, I wondered that too. 
I couldn't find a clear answer, but let's just say if anybody went through my internet search history, I might have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> Anyhow, Time Magazine Online actually has Pope Sergius III as their 10th most controversial pope in history because he ordered the death of another pope, Pope Leo. Remember him? Was he the one who was killed by the anti-pope? So Pope Sergius ordered a hit on Pope Leo. <laughs> that very same one. The most corrupt pope, it, according to that same Time article? I'm sure you guessed it. Pope Stephen VI. So why was Formosus mean-girled by Stephen and others? One article speculates that the reason so many popes came and went and why so many of them were possibly murdered was because secular kingdoms and fiefdoms would support a candidate for the papacy for the sole reason of reaping papal allegiance benefits. During his reign, Formosus supported Arnulf. Pope Stephen VI supported Arnulf's rival Lambert of Spolato. Spolato being one of the more popular, powerful families in Rome at that time. In fact, Formosus was in the act of raising an army against the house of Spolato when he died in 896. You know, Arnulf also died in 896. And that's when Lambert came to Rome to receive the crown from the newly ordealed Pope Stephen VI. So maybe Arnulf was poisoned too? Also, some articles claim that Stephen VI had some mental issues. Now, if you're interested in such morbid attractions, you can visit Basilica San Giovanni Laterano, where the trial took place over 1,126 years ago. So many poisonings and betrayals and dead people on trial. That's insane. <laughs> How often did that really happen? Funny you should ask, John Wycliffe, according to the British Library, died in 1384. He was found guilty of heresy 30 years after his death. And then 13 years after his so-called guilt, he was exhumed, burned, and had his ashes thrown into the River Swift. Louis XIV of France said that suicide is a crime that must be punished, even if the individual succeeded. That course has to be brought to trial with a representative to speak for them. In fact, this one book about suicide that's based on like the works by a French sociologist, the bodies of those who committed suicide were dragged through the streets, face down and dumped on rubbish tips. I have no idea what rubbish tips are. Nonetheless, dead bodies did go on trial. Wow, it is hard to believe that we used to do such crazy things back in these good old days. But you know what? We still do put the dead on trial. In fact, according to an article in The Guardian, in 2007, Sergei Magnitsky, a 35-year-old Russian lawyer and tax auditor, was hired to investigate a case of corruption. He was a pretty smart guy, and he figured out what was happening. But then the officials he accused had him arrested, and thrown in jail, where the prison guards beat him up. He died in custody in 2009 after being refused medical treatment and family visits. In 2013, four years after his mysterious death, he was found guilty of tax evasion per a Reuters article, or is it Reuters? An article by some newspaper. I have heard it both ways. I don't know. <laughs> 
Was his body also dug up and put on trial? No, thankfully. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's not all bad. We have grown since the days of dead popes on trial. Magnitsky's very sad case aside, we now know about the innocence of some after they were found guilty. Since 1973, until the recording of this episode, 192 people who had been wrongly convicted and sentenced to death in the U.S. have been exonerated, according to the Death Penalty Information Center. Don't misunderstand me here. It's sad that they died, but justice did clear their name. One innocent death is one too many. And the appeal process is not perfect. It's designed to catch legal errors rather than factual ones. So unfortunately, some people on death row may be innocent. In fact, we now have the Innocence Project that focuses on proving wrongful convictions. To date, they claim to have exonerated or freed over 200 individuals from death row. Combined, these people spent a total of 3,600 years behind bars. Now, I'm not here to argue the morality of the death penalty, but the Innocence Project has provided many people with a new lease on life. That's just 192 people in 50 years is a lot. And it kind of makes you wonder how many people not on death row are also sitting in prison innocent. Humans are not perfect and humanity is progressing. We don't put corpses on trial anymore, but there is legal representation to try to help those on death row that may have been wrongfully convicted. In addition to the Innocence Project, we also have Truth and Justice, Northwestern Center on Wrongful Convictions, Centurion Ministries, National Legal Aid, and many others with a similar mission. Regardless of your stand on a death penalty, we do need a way to absolve the innocent. Right, so too long, didn't listen. In short summary, in the late 800s, Pope Stephen VI was politically motivated to embarrass Pope Formosus, who had died by then. So he had his body dug up, placed on trial, and found guilty. All of this was during a tumultuous period in papal history in which, after the fall of Charlemagne's dynasty, 11 popes came into power within a 20-year time span, and many were murdered. And now, well nowhere near perfect, we do have organizations dedicated to advocate for the wrongly convicted instead of guilt after death. And that's all we got for you today. Join us every other week for another story from the Annals of History. If you enjoyed this, please go and rate us on your favorite podcast channel. We cannot do this without your support. And be sure to reach out to us and follow at Oh The Good Old Days. That's oh, the good old days with old and days sharing a D on all of your favorite social media channels. You know what? Maybe the good old days weren't so good after all. I don't think they were. 